Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. It is another podcast, and it's a not-so-serious Sunday. Sunday, 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 Sunday. Sunday, 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 Sunday. Woof, man. I know. we got to bring the energy up here. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. Well, we'll bring it up. Um, I was just trying some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's uh, been an interesting beginning to this podcast. Not many people would know. Obviously, listening audience wouldn't know, but... Um, just getting everything going technology wise. Yeah. Was a real headache. Yeah. But we're here. We're, we're live. Um, we have a live audience. We have the podcast listening audience and we're going to get into artistry. We're going to get into industry and, uh, let's do this. Yeah. in some, some way, shape or form. Uh huh. We'll, we'll find our way there. We typically do. We, yeah, we do mostly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what's been going on for you this week? How's things happening? Oh, I mean, um, I mean, I finished up a little while ago. I just think recent creative stuff is, uh, was doing another draft of, uh, the, the script that we're filming. Right. And really enjoying, um, entering back into that. Although it's, it's interesting to see these places where I was at and where I'm at now and the things that I want to say now versus the things that I wanted to say then. Mm. Uh, and so there are certain things where I'm, I'm, as I'm touching things up, changing them, like for the most part, it's, it's a lot of it is staying the same. Uh, but it's like these little things in terms of sometimes the language that I use or the, some of the ideas and themes that, uh, some, some pretty pivotal scenes have like changed and the way that certain relationships are have changed. And, and that's, I think, uh, absolutely a reflection of, of where I'm at now. Hmm. So that's been really interesting with that. And, um, and other than that, I, I bought a new guitar amp <laughs> and, uh, I've been having a ton of fun with that. Oh man. Can it do more than your old amp? Yeah, like definitely. What, like other than play louder. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it can play louder. <laughs> um, I mean to get into all of the things that this new one can do that my old one couldn't, um, there's a lot more functionality in the new one that I have, but in terms of the, the pure tonal quality of the amp, it's much better. Hmm. It's just richer sounding. Yeah. Like it's just, it, it's, and it has, it feels great. It's like, cause touch, we feel things as guitar players. We <laughs> feel things in, in those amps because they do you like, they have different sensations on your fingers. Hmm. Like there's, there's a, a relationship between what you're playing and how the amp is responding to it. And there's, you do, you get a tactile sense of how much you're digging into it or how soft you're playing and how does the amp respond to that? Sometimes they don't respond well to you and it's just, a, and you lose, um, your sensation of touch with the, with the instrument that way. And so it's, yeah, it's a very symbiotic relationship that I didn't know about when I first started getting into electric. Yeah. Um, and you start to learn it and develop it and, and figure these things out as you go. Um, but I'm excited with this because, uh, I've, I, I think I've found, um, 
a song that I'm going to start writing. Yeah. Like, yeah. You want to do a song? Yeah. I, you know what? I've actually, I made it, I haven't written it down, but well, I guess I kind of did in my journal. I, I wrote this down was that, uh, I'm going to try and put, put together like a, like a four song EP this year. Cool. Man. Just as like a little fun project for myself in the background. It's like, you know what? I love music. I love songwriters. And I've always kind of like wanted to be one, you know, like not so secretly Yeah. <laughs> on not so serious Sunday, not so secretly kind of want to be a, uh, a musician in yeah. some ways to, to write, write songs and things. So, um, you know, I'm like, I have the, all the tools that I need to do it. And now it's just about me writing some songs. And, uh, and as I was just messing around, I found just this really terrific sounding little thing, like some chords. And with my looper, I was able to throw down like a basic, just sort of a melody and then put a few things over top of it. And, and I'm listening to it back, which is kind of really interesting is that's what I really love about having a looper pedal. If you're a guitar player out there and you play electric, oh my God, like I cannot tell if, tell you how much a looper can, uh, help you with your skills, but can give you a sense of your playing of your own playing. Because sometimes when you're, when you're in the middle of playing, you don't like, you hear what, what's coming out and you can be like, yeah, I think that sounds pretty good. But when you have a looper and you can hear it coming back at you, there are things about my playing that I've never heard before Hmm. and things I'm like, oh, wow. Like, like I'm actually, (laughs) I was actually like, I'm kind of better than I, than I maybe (laughs) thought I was in my own mind. This sounds really good. Right. And, uh, so that was kind of really cool. And, and I was able to like, just throw this thing down. I'm like, all right, I have this recorded and I saved it and I know how I did what I did. And now it's like, I can just listen to it back and over. And that's something I learned from, uh, our guest, Matt Cairns. Yeah. He, he liked to use it that way in order to, to write music and to come up with lyrics is have it playing back to him, something that he, he would put down right and, uh, find voicings and things. And, And I was having fun with that. So after I was able to put down this basic, the basic melody that I really liked, I started throwing some solos over top of it and recording the solos, which is something I've never thought to do. Cause I usually just put down a melody and I just jam over top of it. Right. But I was like, well, no, maybe I'll, I'll record my solo. So I, then I add that into the loop and I can hear my solo back. And then I'd be like, Oh, that's, I'm like, I'm like, Oh, okay. That didn't quite work or whatever, but I kind of liked what I did here. So I would erase that part of the loop And then I would go and I would do another solo over top of it. And so I could keep doing that and be like, all right, I see what I like, what I don't like, what fits best with the song. That's great. So I'm having a lot of fun with it, man. I'm having a lot of fun with that part of my creative creativity right now. Amazing. That's really great. That's going to be exciting. I think for, for us, as we do this podcast that you're taking that on. Mm -hmm. Actually, I, I personally, I think it's about time too, because I, (laughs) I, 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 I mean, I think you're a really good guitarist and I'm not, I'm not just saying it cause you're my friend. Like, I think you're, you're really quite exceptional at it. So it's, um, it'll be interesting to see what you do. I mean, I you know, it's interesting. Like, I guess we all have, we all have our own blocks around w- why we don't express ourselves in certain mm-hmm. creative stuff. You know, I mean, I've talked a little bit about this script that I've been writing and 
Um, you know, I've been so hard on myself throughout it. And, you know, we're getting to that point now where we're, we're pretty much at that. I mean, there's always going to be new drafts as a screenwriter. Like as, as long as you stay on board, that's just kind of part of the nature of the job. Yeah. But, uh, we're kind of at a point now where the script's pretty tight. It's kind of, it's very, very accurate and very all inclusive of all the events that happened in the true story. And, um, yeah, it's been interesting because I'm extremely, I I realized extremely hard on myself as a screenwriter. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting is that, you know, recognizing that there's different, there's different battles to be fought with every art that you do. Like, you know, I think my big achievement really with this script was simply being able to find a way to honor the whole story into what actually has worked out to be about 113 pages. Mm. Um, I had it down to 107 at one point, but, um, uh, we wanted to add in a couple more scenes that were, you know, that kind of included a bit more of the people in involved. Yeah. I think some of that stuff at the end of the day might end up being cut, but the fact that it's written and it's written well, and it's written in a way where that scene was honored is really good. And I think like right now where the script's at, um, see, I'm not personally, I'm not as a writer, I'm not personally attached to any of the scenes myself. Yeah. There's maybe actually, that's probably not true. There's a few scenes that I'm probably attached to, Yeah. but those scenes would never get cut. They're like the scenes that the movie banks on, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it, it's, it's not even, it's not nothing to do with like my ego or anything. They just really are the scenes of the movie. They're they're Yeah. Well, if, I mean, if you were to, like, there are scenes that if you were to take them out, like there would just be this gaping hole. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, they're, it just, the story would kind of not make sense. Yeah. And you know, and I think like I have enough, uh, enough screenwriting wisdom to know that those scenes are not going to get cut. If anything, maybe they'll get changed, but probably not. It's really, there's going to be some auxiliary scenes uh, that happen that might get cut just simply out of logistics and production and whatever. Yeah. But I'm not attached to any of those scenes. The way I look at it is if anything, if, if someone came in and was like, okay, let's cut this, this, and this, and let's cleave it down. And I would actually, I would appreciate that, you know, but I think like, as far as the writing goes, I mean, one of the interesting things that I found about writing a true story, just side note, is that the most difficult part about it is to try and include the wholeness of the story and not change the events into something else, you know, just because it's easier. Yeah. I would say that the, the, the script is literally 95 to 98% as accurate as it did happen based on all the research and based on all the interviews and everything that I've done. Mm -hmm. There's only been like a couple minor, minor changes in there. And I think in the long run, it makes more sense to do that. So to keep a script that accurate to the true events, of course I wasn't there. I'm, I'm only writing based on what I experienced. I think that's pretty cool because if the movie does get made in its form, people could watch that and be like, this was really what happened. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Of course, every, you know, every true story has certain things where it's like, you know, it's certain people's perception. It's certain things like, um, you know, maybe the way someone remembers something wasn't exactly the way it was, but it was a lot from their perception, but that's the nature of a true story. You know, you try to, I think what's really cool though, is there's, there's a lot of true stories out there that aren't really true. They're kind of like, it's, they call it a true story, but it's not really like how it happened. So at this point, it's been an interesting thing. But my, my point was just that I think that I've been hard on myself as a screenwriter, just the same. And it's interesting how, 
you know, we don't give ourselves credit for the things that we're actually doing well. Right. You know, cause I, cause what I've seen with you play as a guitarist, I mean, I've never heard you sing or, or, or do that, but what I've seen you do as a guitarist, I was really, really impressed. I mean, I, if I could play that well, I would like my, I would be so happy. (laughs) (laughs) So, but now, I mean, you're going to, you're moving into a more complicated, um, part of doing music, which is trying to put something original together, your own music. And yeah, I could just imagine that it comes with a lot of new challenges. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) Well, because I mean, for me, like music, music is, kind of almost a sacred thing for me in terms of what I listen to, the bands that I like, you know, the, the sort of sophistication that I like, the honesty that I like in music. Um, you know, like some of my favorites like are just, they're, it's just, they're, they're just giants, right. Of music. And you go, you know, especially coming from someone who is, who plays guitar and, out of, I don't know, falling in love with like, uh, at first I, I really love like flamenco players, like great flamenco players, which is just like outrageous. And then for electric, it was Jimmy Page and Jimi Hendrix and, and David Gilmore and like a, a lot of these, uh, just absolute icons. So then you, you, that's what you end up measuring yourself against. Right. And it's daunting. Yeah. You know, and then lyrically as well, you know, it's like, I think of who my favorites are in terms of writing lyrics. And I think of, you know, someone like Neil Young or something like that. And I just go, Oh my God, how do you write something like that? Because you, you put that pressure on yourself, but then, you know, I think that it's been through doing this podcast in many ways through having the conversations we've had and talking to the, to the guests that we've had, um, and realizing it's like, no, I, you know, it's great that to be inspired by these people, but you know, it's, it's like, I'm not, I, I shouldn't be trying to be any of these people. Right. And kind of finding, um, finding my own voice Mm. as both a guitar player. And as I venture into starting to write some words and lyrics and stuff, which is in some ways the most intimidating part of the whole thing for me is like starting to put words to the music and how is that going to go? I have no idea how it's going to go. Right. That's the thing. So it's, it's a brand new territory for me. Um, but I feel like some of the lessons that I've, I've been really learning over the past couple of years, um, through, through, um, writing screenplays and through acting and about the creative process itself, I have an idea of how I can do something that I might actually be happy with. Mm. <laughs> might. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing because, um, you know, it's about, I think partly too, is getting away from the result of what it's, you know, what it needs to be or what it's supposed to be. Because, um, you know, I think like with acting or, or writing or directing, I mean, those are things that I actually really like the doing of. And I think that I can get myself out of the actual joy of writing or acting or filmmaking if I get too worried about what the final product needs to be. You know, I think it's important to keep that in mind. I don't Mm -hmm. think you should just go willy nilly and just do whatever. Like, I think you, you need to pay attention, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing because I think sometimes as a creative and actually probably more than sometimes you don't really know what you've created 
until almost way after the fact, you know, you don't really know what you've done. And I think that the thing that I'm really, I would say like, I think the thing that's probably turning my career to a new level and it's changing my experience of my entire craft is like all, all things acting, filmmaking and, and writing is that I'm learning to trust my own authentic voice. Mm -hmm. I think the podcast has really helped with that too. You know, just talking about all of this stuff and the more we do it, the more I see the value in authenticity, the more I see the value in being genuine and real. And the more that I see that the things that I actually think are so mundane and like, you know, they're not important or seemingly not important are really the things that are actually the most important of all. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's funny because I think like when I was younger, I used to think like, you know, it's these grandiose moments, like even with the screenplay, you know, there's, there's like these moments, um, in the script that are, you know, I think really monumental and really moving and very memorable. But like you were saying before we started the podcast, it's with, without all the other scenes, without all the other context, those scenes are kind of meaningless a little bit. Well, they, they are still powerful, but they're not as powerful without the context, you know? And, and so I think that there's a lot of the creativity, which is not a highlight moment, but that, that thing that doesn't seem so, so much of a highlight moment is what actually holds up a highlight moment. Yeah. And I'm like learning to kind of accept that that's part of this game, you know? Um, and it's funny because like, you know, I'll write scripts and I'll be like, I love what I'm doing, but this script has been really interesting because it's been kind of the opposite. Like I've been like, Oh, I'm so not sure about anything I'm doing. Yeah. But, but I think that, you know, to touch on a little bit of what you're saying, like in terms of, you know, these moments and you think of like, I think of, of, of an iconic film, something like Forrest Gump. Right. And there, I mean, there are so many memorable things about that, that movie. Um, but you know, there's these really big moments that happen in it. Right. You know, like when, when Bubba dies, you know, that's a big moment in the, in the film. But there, the thing is, is that the only thing that makes that moment meaningful is you saw the scene where they met each other. Right. You know, and they both got reamed out by Lieutenant Dan, which is like, not as a point, like a, a, a point in the movie that just stands out like, oh, when Bubba dies. Right. But it was still full of beautiful moments, that little scene. Mm-hmm. And it's all of those things that make it important for when that thing happens. Right. right. So it's, and also we don't even know necessarily what the, like I've talked about this on the show where doing, you know, doing scenes or doing plays and putting stuff up in front of an audience and stuff that you thought was like going to get a laugh or something doesn't, but then something that didn't get a laugh in rehearsals at all or in <laughs> at any stage. And then suddenly people are just roaring yeah, over something that, that happened. It's like, you don't necessarily have any idea, which is why it's really, for me, it's always about getting closer and closer and closer to the truth as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to find like, even within, even within being in the middle of the process of just part of what's interesting about acting is because it's happening and you've got to be like, <laughs> you've got to be so focused because there's people watching you and everything depends on your ability to be truthful right, right now. Mm. 
And so it's always about constantly being open to a greater truth than you knew before. Yeah. In doing this, even though maybe you're doing this scene again, right? Being open to being like, okay, well, this is what I've got. I'm coming in with it, but really going moment to moment and then discovering a deeper lit level and layer of truth in what's happening. Um, not only in the scene and with them, but within your own character. Right. And, and just having those, like I've, those moments are great. And I know that you've, you've definitely had these moments where you're in the middle scene. You can't, you can't just like stop and be like, Oh my God, <laughs> like, and just have, have this thing. But there's these moments where I've had these realizations in the middle of a scene and people are watching and just been completely shocked and delighted. Yeah. Just being like, Oh my God, I totally didn't know that before. I didn't realize this. And you go, okay, shit, shit. Can you keep going? Because you have to, you can't stay on that. You can't dwell yeah. on this thing that you discovered, right? Because there might be something else to discover as you're going, which is, it's, it's, acting is such a fucking crazy thing. Like I didn't realize what I set out to be an actor, what it was that I was engaging in really. But once you like start to get at the real juice of it and figure out what it, what it's really all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. That's how I started to fe- realize acting was an art because for years I didn't understand acting as an art form. Yeah. You know, I knew it as an entertainment. Um, and you know, and yes, and it moves people and stuff like that. But that was, I, I didn't necessarily understand how, how I was an artist as an actor or how acting itself was an art. And until much later on, right. And starting to figure this out because it gets, acting gets so coded in all kinds of shit you know, you have to strip it all away and strip it all away and strip it all away. Well, you know, it's, um, I think what, what, what's happened with acting too, is like, it's become this really big phenomenon in our culture. You know, it, it really has over the last like hundred years or so, particularly with film. And I think people keep trying to break it down into this science, into this like math equation and like be able to make it, um, uh, repeatable and, and replicate and whatever. And I think that there is something that's probably good in that, but you know, it's interesting. I was having this conversation with someone yesterday, I think it was, and we were talking about how the industrial revolution has shaped our thinking today. And, you know, the industrial revolution was based on basically training human beings, how to be relatively robotic yeah. And how, if we're robotic and doing something simple over and over repetitively that we don't have to think about, we can be quite proficient at it. Mm-hmm. But now we're moving into an age where pretty soon we're going to be able to have robots and, and mechanical things that can do, that can essentially do whatever we could do and far better and far faster without needing to sleep. And they can work through the night. They can work 24 hours a day. Um, you know, seven days a week doesn't matter. Um, so pretty soon what's going to happen is there's just not going to be like a lot of jobs where you don't think anymore. The only jobs there will be, will be the ones where you think the ones where they require a certain kind of human ingenuity that cannot be replicated, you know? Mm -hmm. And it might even get to the point, and I don't know if this would ever happen in our lifetime, but if, if we don't destroy ourselves, 
We, <laughs> which could happen if we don't destroy ourselves, we could get to the point, and, and this may sound crazy to people because of the world we're indoctrinated into, but that people may never even have a job anymore, which would happen is that everybody in society would simply just be able to be, and the world would function. And, and now this is just a theory. And I actually, I, you know, I think I might publish a book on this just because of how crazy it is. But what I see in the future, what I see in the future is that eventually the government just gives you a certain amount of money that gives everybody a certain amount of money. And, you know, we all live in very similar places. Everything will be quite similar. And, and with overpopulation and all this types of thing, what happened is people won't necessarily make money, but government will control money. And then what would end up happening is if you committed a crime or you did something, they would just literally take away your money. And that would be your punishment. Instead of sending you to prison, they would just allocate resources elsewhere and, and make you feel the effects of having less. And if you were a good um, citizen, a, a, a law abiding citizen, you could keep all your, your things and you could buy and do as you please based on having a similar amount. And what would happen is that most of the jobs would actually be done by mechanics and, and all of this stuff. Now, this would sound crazy to everybody right now, but basically we'll all be replaced with machines and we'll have free time. Now, here's the reason why I kind of believe that the government would do this and this is how the world would go. We have such a low level of moral ethical code in our, in our current uh, civilization that we, that's why we have riots. You know, if we, if we had moral and ethical code, we wouldn't actually have riots. It just wouldn't happen. People would have, there would be, uh, we would maybe, we would maybe rebel against government, but we wouldn't just like steal all the shit because we can get away with it. Mm. But, um, the problem is if you took everyone's job away and they had idle hands, they, people would currently, and this is a crazy thing to say. And some people maybe wouldn't agree with me, but we will literally destroy ourselves we'll just play video games endlessly, do drugs, eat terrible food over and over. And we are already doing that in a lot of ways. If we could just have more of it with less need to actually work, we would, we could literally start to create a certain kind of dynamic of self-destruction through comfort. So the, the way the world is, is working is working in a way where the industrial model will be cut right out of our lives. And so we're going to be required to think, and I think artistry will flourish in a way. Now I know I'm going off here, but here's my theory. Why artistry can only exist when all our basic needs are taken care of. Mm -hmm. We actually can. And I've tried when I'm like worried about paying bills and I've been in a really low spot, it's really hard to be an artist. Yeah. But when all my bills are covered, everything's taken care of. And I'm just like, I have lots of free time. I just start getting super creative. I'm like, I guess I'll create this, or I guess I'll do this, or I get an idea and I want to do that. Um, that, or I just want to satiate and like do something comfortable. But I find when I have the free time and things are taken care of and I'm not stressed out, I become super creative. So the idea would be that people would be free to create, but we would need to create a baseline of creativity. And so like artistry really flourishes in those times when our base needs are taken care of, but that's kind of where the world is headed. So if we don't adapt to the new model, if we keep trying to force things into an industrial model, we're just working against technology that will in indefinitely in, in inevitably, um, replace us from that model. Yeah. And so our, our great power as human beings is we're machines that are 
we can think, we can make choices, we can do things that machines can't do. And that's really what's going to make us, you know, that's, that's going to have to be our evolution. I don't know if that'll happen in our lifetime, but I would imagine in the next hundred years that that's how the world will actually look. And it'd be crazy if this podcast still exists and someone listens back to a hundred years from now and they're like, holy shit, he was on it. Because I really, if you look at the trends of the world and you look at like, if you look at psychology and you look at technology and you start to see those two things and their, their kind of symbiotic relationship and how one greatly affects the other, um, artistry is almost the way of the future. Industry is the past. And as much as we have to play by industry right now, eventually industry will be an entirely different model. It's even hard for me to understand right now because I was still born as a product of just after the industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. So my model of thinking is still caught up in a model of I'm a machine, which is how we were educated. It's how we were all taught. But you mean even school may not look the same way. Like people may not even go to a class anymore. Everybody will be learning online and social socializing will happen not at school, but in, um, activity, which is actually kind of wonderful, Mm -hmm. but it's like a world that's hard for us to even try on. Like imagine every activity you did was really like a field trip and you actually would go out in the world and you'd experience and like put your hands on stuff. And that's what really mattered because it didn't really matter. Like, cause everything, like I've been talking to people, I've been interviewing people, like everybody learns shit through online now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, one of my friends, I'm like, he's going to college. He's do, every course he does is online. Yeah. Every single one. I mean, why go to a campus and, and have to go for a certain hour in your day when you could create a flexibility in your life and you're like, I don't want to do it at 9am today. I want to do it at 9pm tonight. So I'm going to put my class off and do this other thing. Yeah. But that's the world we're going to live in. We're going to live in a world where we create choice and we can literally be creative and design our day. Yeah. But in the past, in our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, they could never do that. They just literally worked nine to five or whatever the whole thing was. And it's yeah. just blocked off to keep these systems going. And that's right. the, that was the limit of the system. Yeah. And then the system had to basically say, well, humans get tired. I mean, it sounds crazy to say humans get tired, but we get tired. Right? Yeah. And machines wouldn't get tired. Machines could work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It wouldn't yeah. matter. So you don't have to have a, you don't have to have a nine to five model. You could literally have a like 6am to like 3am model. And then everything shuts down for three hours if they even, or 24 hour model, because the way the world can work is that you don't even have to sleep at night anymore. You could sleep in day. It, it, our, we could transcend to a point where everything we see the world as right now is just not even there. But, you know, I'm an artist like, and the reason why, why this is kind of interesting to me is because I've always been quite nocturnal. I like to stay up in the middle of the night and create and write scripts and do stuff. In fact, yeah. a lot of the time, the only reason why I feel the need to get up in the day is because that's when everyone else is up. So I want to hang around with people, Yeah, you know, and I don't want to be on my own the whole time. But you know, I know a lot of artists that are quite nocturnal, but like in the future we're moving into, that's actually going to be more of a legitimate kind of do, do as you do as you mm-hmm. feel is right for your artistry. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of get into this because you were taught, we were, we were talking about artistry and you know, we just have these interesting relationships with the various ways of our artistry. And like, I think it's, 
like you're, you chasing music or deciding to go this way is creating a whole new option in your life that you never had before. Mm-hmm. You're going to be able to think about things that you weren't, that weren't even in your wheelhouse, which is yeah going to be so cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Just like taking on a true story for me as a screenwriter, it's a small change, but it's actually quite a big change. Like it's a whole new way of doing a story. Like every time I've ever written a story, I've either created it myself or I've given us been given a concept on spec yeah. and I got to create everything. When it's a true story, it's kind of like you're tied to those events, but there's a whole nother experience of it. But the world eventually, like, I think the way we'll go is you won't just have to be an actor or a writer or a filmmaker to have that experience. Pretty soon everybody will begin to have an experience of creativity. Yeah. I think, and I think that the, and to a degree, I think that some of the systems of like the idea of free market and that sort of thing is, um, was created to, to try and encourage innovation mm. to encourage people to, cause I think innovation creation, they're kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I think it was there to, in many ways to try and stimulate that. That's like, if you've got a great idea, if you've created something new that the world wants, then, then you can make it right. You can, you can do whatever you want and you'll be supported. Uh, the, the system has its limitations, I think, you know, um, based on, yeah, just based on, I think on how some of the, some, uh, the distribution of wealth or whether like, I'm not, I'm not intelligent enough to understand a lot of these things, but, or, or what they exactly would be. But yeah, there's a certain restriction that is now been placed upon people, um, that inhibits people from being able to create and innovate. I mean, nothing that's outright, I think necessarily stopping anybody, but certainly things that don't, aren't always the best at nurturing and encouraging people or giving people a hand or to tell people that it's possible to, to do these things, right. Mm -hmm. To, to go and explore something or to pursue certain avenues or to pursue an idea. Right. Um, and yeah, and I think that, I think that you're right. Like, I don't, some of your ideas are very interesting and who knows? I have absolutely no idea. Um, well, yeah, I don't know either. Um, but I think that you were right on the level that I think that the way that the world is going is that it's going, that we will live in a society, in a society at some point where it will, it will be less, our lives will be less based on, you know, having to perform basic tasks, right. For our, our survival. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I watched a documentary that was done in 2012 and they said that, that tomorrow, like literally they said like tomorrow, whenever you kind of watch this is back in 2012, that 70 some odd percent of the world's labor force could be completely automated tomorrow. Like most of the world's workforce could be completely automated. Like we, we would lose the need for people to perform these tasks. Right. And that was in 2012. I mean, things move really fast these days. 
right? I'm sure that number has jumped exponentially. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we could replace most of the world's labor force with automation. And it's something that people freak out about. And it's just like, but we won't have jobs. It's just because again, this is the limitation of the system, right? We actually want people to not have to perform these things. It's a great thing for us to not have to perform some of these things, but the, the way that our economy works right now, that is a very threatening and scary thing because what will people do to earn money basically? So once you learn how to change the way that money works and money is distributed or some people I've heard argue that, that the monetary system will actually have to completely go at some point because there will be no need for it. Um, well, in many ways there already is no need for it because it, you know, I mean, it, it's, 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 it's crazy talk to talk about all this stuff in some ways, but like <laughs> right now, I mean, there's enough, there's enough food in the world to feed the whole world and no one could need to be hungry. Yeah. But because of capitalism, um, we live in a world where people want to benefit off of the fact of scarcity. So we actually live in a world where we thrive off of creating scarcity. So it's kind of messed up because what, what people simply do is they take something, they make it scarce for everyone else, put it in demand, supply and demand. And now you lower the supply, the demand is high. You can make a lot of money out of that. Um, if we got to the point where everybody was fed, everybody was sheltered, everybody had all their basic needs and everything, you know, food or whatever, all their meals covered and, and whatever. At that point, the problems that arose would be of a sort of self-destruction. It would not be of a societal, governmental, uh, political, um, what's the term, like a philosophical way in which yeah. you, you run the world wouldn't be the problem. Um, what would happen is we would, ha- we would actually see, um, in a very big level, how people destroy themselves. And that, and that would be good. The reason why is because then we could actually deal with how people become self-destructive in their life. Like right now, if you eat fast food, every food, every single, every single, you're literally participating in a type of self-destruction. If you drink every day, if you, you know, uh, copious amounts, if you do drugs every day, you know, every, any, all this stuff that's like, you know, gluttony, right? Like it's just done over too much, right? Yeah. And that can, the thing is that can go with anything. Yeah. It can go with anything. It can go with anything. You can, you know, these are easy things to point to like alcohol and drugs and Mm -hmm. fast food, like a poor diet, you know, just like eating shit. Yeah. Because we see the physical effects. But you can, people can, can work too much. Right. People can work too hard. People can exercise too hard. You know, people like there's all these other things that we don't necessarily think of as being self-destructive, but they completely can be. Well, you know, and you've, you know, you've, you've heard me talk about and probably seen me a little bit like with the online gaming thing, which is something that's actually relatively new to me. Um, cause I haven't done a lot of on t- online gaming until recently, but you know, some of these open world games and I mean, it's only going to get better and it's only going to get bigger and it's only just going to get more immersive with uh, virtual reality. I mean, in the future, you could just live in essentially if all your basic health needs are covered here, you could just live in a virtual reality. And, and, you know, in our generation, that seems totally messed up in a lot of ways. Right. But like, I think what's going to happen is in the future, 
our exchange is going to be more on experience and it's going to be more on like, um, which is actually interesting for the arts because if you think about it, right? Like imagine all our stuff was taken care of. Like imagine our food was made by, you know, we like maybe you like you're, you're, you know, you have a, a mechanical or whatever uh, system in your house that actually just makes your food. So you don't really have to worry about making food. You don't really have to worry about cleaning. You don't have to worry about a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there's a lot of things that are just kind of done because we figured out a way to create the world and just kind of do all the little things that we do. At that point, you're probably going to start pursuing things that are more in line with what you're really doing. I mean, you'll be, go back to childhood in a way. Cause if you think about what children are like, mm-hmm. children don't have to pay bills. They, they get to play and they have to go to school, but for the most part they get to play. And when they play, they just play what they want. They'll, if they're, if they were born to be a dancer, they'll dance. If they were born to be an actor or something, they'll probably do voices. If they were a filmmaker, they'll grab a camera and start filming their friends and, and try to show everybody like, look what I fucking shot and all this, you know, <laughs> of course they probably won't swear, unless, <laughs> you know, but whatever. Uh, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, what I mean? So, um, in the future, it's actually quite exciting because we'll just be artists all the time. We'll either do one of two things. We'll basically just satiate the shit out of ourselves or we'll create in and play, you yeah. know, and we'll basically do those two things. And, yeah. and hopefully our struggle becomes more of a balance of between instead of work and relaxation, it becomes, becomes more like, uh, how much do I play and create and how much do I you know, relax, you know, as opposed to, and work becomes more of a thing that's like, um, I don't know, like it's, it's actually done for the reason work is supposed to be there. Like work is not, you know, a lot of people believe work is I go to work, I, I work my eight hours and I get paid my money and that's their relationship to work. But work, that's not where work is actually meant to be. Work is meant to be, I go and I do my eight hours and these eight hours I created this type of value. Yeah. But we don't look at like that. Like you talk to the, um, you know, uh, the coffee barista, uh, you know, the waiter, whatever they're there to make their money and go home. Yeah. But if we don't need to make money, if you do a job, your job becomes more about the service you provide. It becomes more about the value you gave. Yeah. Can you imagine if we lived in a world where people actually worked and they worried more about the value they produced in the world as opposed yeah. to the value they got back? We, it would be monumentally, better, but we don't live in that world yet. And the thing is there would still be like extraordinary crafts people within these, like there would still be baristas because, but they would be baristas like, because I've met baristas like this. Yes. Right. They've like, they fucking love it. Yeah. They love it, but they take it to a whole nother level of what they do. Like they go to the level. It's like, okay, you know what? Like I learned how to do this through somebody else, but now I'm going to start like doing my own blends doing my own roasts, like making coffee in a new way, trying to new things, right. With coffee, right. Turning it into an art form, right. Just like chefs, you know, there's there, people will travel from all over the world to go and eat in restaurants or eat meals cooked by certain chefs just because they do something beyond food. You know, yes. it's like, yes, like food is the and medium, that's the artistry. That's the artistry. And so yeah. th- those things are still going to exist, right? Of course. Like, that's what people get scared of. That, but if you realize if you have the artistry in it, it will never go away. Yeah. If it's only industry, it will, because the way technology is going, industry has to change. But like chefs will always be there 
Cause there is an art artistry in being a chef. Yeah. You know, if there is an artistry in making a car, there will still be art people making cars. It yeah. doesn't mean that every car that ever gets made will be machine made. Like yeah. Ferrari, as far as I understand is made with, you know, people, people are yeah. placing those parts. That's not going to go away. There's an artistry to that design. Yeah. But like, there's going to be like the economy cars. Like we don't need people to be doing that. There's no artistry in or it anymore. There can be a level where you can have a car designer who they are working. A machine is going to build the car, but the person still is designing it. Sure. They're exactly. creating like there's like, there's always going to be room for this. I think for this human element. Yeah. I think there's, there's just something that, that is brought to the table by being, by being human. Right. That's just like, that's, that pushes for something that questions that is curious, you know, that, that wants to create. Right. And I, that's not going to go away. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it it is great. And I think that it's just us embracing our humanness, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and us not fighting it. I mean, you know, like, uh, you know, Detroit is a good example of how industry, you know, obliterated, um, the, the, the industrial worker because all the car manufacturers went away. And I mean, it's like a, it's like apocalyptic in some places over there. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's rough. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a red flag and a warning sign to how the future is going to go. And it, it doesn't, it's not anybody's fault. I mean, the, the thing is, is, is just, it's a product of an evolving world. And, it, you know, the, the people who are displaced from that, unfortunately were trained in an industrial type of life, hoping that they'd have a type of security. And like, I think like ultimately, like what would be more interesting is if we have people constantly creating, like, for example, I mean, I'm playing this game right now, Grand Theft Auto five, and I'm playing in the open world online thing. And I went out and, uh, there's this thing you can, you can create like races and, and death matches and whatever. Right. So I went and I created this, what's basically called the death match, which is basically just have a shootout. Like yeah. one team shoots out with another team and, and you create a, a landscape where you pick a place on the map to do it. And you can set up all sorts of little obstacles and such to do it. And I went out and did this and I have a few friends online now. And I said, Hey, do you guys want to try this level I created? And they're like, okay, you know, we'll try it out for you. We'll do it. And they all did it. And they were like, this is awesome. And they were like, this is really awesome, especially because you're like a first time player. And I was like, all I did was really just take my creativity. I took all my paintball and airsoft experience. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this would be a map that I would want to play in real life. But like I'm playing in this virtual reality, which is actually not much different because I'm a little like person I created and they're a little person they created. And we're walking around in this and doing this. And we all had a blast and they like, they're like, I'm saving this map. And like, it was so interesting how they came into it, but that's what creativity does. It creates something that's already great and you can make it better. And that's, I think what's going to happen. I mean, we're going to have virtual worlds to play and we're not just going to have our world. People are going to have like, it might be a video game. It might be who knows what people go and you might not even call it a video game anymore, but some virtual reality, just movie like you experience Mm -hmm. and people will create stuff and it's going to be a a time of more like human experience. And we won't, where we will 
trade our dollars or where we will trade and, and desire our, our demand will be in what someone can create for us that gives us an opportunity we may have never had the chance to experience. I mean, people who have really great wealth will fly all the way to like Italy or or France to Paris to have a meal with a certain chef, because you can never have that unless you go to that person and have that experience and people will do this. And I think that that's the way of the future. Pretty soon we're going to get to the point where we, we offer things that are an experience and, and, uh, supply and demand will eventually actually be a thing of the past too. I actually think it will happen Yeah. because right now, if you look at acting, acting kind of sucks in some ways because it's supply and demand. There's super big supply of actors and a lot of demand for the parts. And so to be an actor, you're like, man, there's so many people doing this and there's such scarcity. But like, what if you were an actor and you could do as many movies or things as you wanted. Yeah. It didn't really matter. It wasn't about making money and it wasn't even about the fame. Yeah. But it was simply because, you know, and, and that would actually scare off a lot of the people that are doing it for the wrong reasons. But just imagine you could be in any movie you wanted as big of a production as you ever dreamed. And you could play that part. And it, and it didn't really matter about you needing to win an Oscar or making a bunch of money. All that you could just do it if that's what you wanted to do. Yeah. Or if you want to be a musician, you don't have to worry about making money as a musician. You don't have to worry about a lot of these things. You just get to go out and you get to create. And like the, the, I, I just think that the world is going to evolve. And of course we're going to look for experience. So the ultimate, the ultimate test of currency will be, is it impacting other people? Yeah. Like even like, this, I think it'll be, yeah, very much about like everybody will be creating experiences for each other. And then when we're not creating experiences for others, we're going out and experiencing what other people are offering. And to a large degree, that's already what we're doing. Right. Um, but it's kind of cutting out the middleman of money and just kind of freeing people to, to just go and participate. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's and kind of what we're talking about. I mean, I have no idea. There's, pe- there's people on the other end. They're like, what a bunch of fucking communists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably. Um, well, it's not even about that. I mean, the, I think the struggle that's always going to be there is that there's going to be power hungry people and people who are exploitive and whatnot. And there, it's not like, uh, you know, for our Republican listeners, <laughs> you know, we're probably still going to need people to protect the world. We're still going to need people to look out and make sure that, you know, the wrongdoers, the, the, the people who, um, you know, maybe are not building a certain ethic or moral or whatever. Um, there's going to have to be someone that's willing to stand up to them too. Yeah. Like we can't just be satiative little blobs. Yeah. Right. Um, but to a large degree, I think that we have people like that out of the system that, of, that we, we've right. set up, right? Like, well, that's th- part of it. I'm working on a show right now with someone and it's a crime thriller drama, right? Yeah. And we were talking about it and, and we're creating the pitch and all this stuff. I mean, I'm consulting on it, so it's not my project, but I'm, I'm giving them, I'm helping them and whatever. Um, but I, you know, I was talking with them about helping them pitch their project. And I was like, yeah, like we we're just talking about how crime even exists. Crime exists usually because when people get to a point where they cannot make enough money through legitimate means, they look for illegal opportunities to steal, to, to do something, you know, that can make them a lot more money and get them a lot more resources, which might be more risky. Yeah. And crime 
is opportunity, you know? And so the thing is, is if, if you have all your needs taken care of in a lot of ways, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to need to go to crime. Like this is the thing that most people don't understand. Like your average citizen who has like middle-class citizen doesn't understand why crime exists. Crime usually exists in lower poverty, like poverty driven areas. It's like it's areas where people have very little money, very little resources. They're being exploited by some power, something, mm-hmm. and that's where crime comes from. Yeah. So if we took that element away, there would still be crime, but, but you wouldn't have, you know, quote unquote, quote, right. Good people doing bad things. You might still have sociopathic people, people who are, um, psychologically unwell doing bad things. Yeah. But for the most part, your average citizen would probably not risk committing crimes because, because there would be nothing more to gain. If you already had what you needed, Yeah. why would you do it? Like, why would you steal from someone if you, if it didn't help you to have it? Yeah. Right. Why would you do it? You wouldn't. The only reason why people steal is because they believe that someone has something they don't. And so then they can have it as well. Right that or maybe they wanted to hurt or destroy yeah. that person, but that could be another issue. Yeah. And it's, it's, this, it's just makes me think of fight club, um, <laughs> this whole conversation, but no, I mean, it's because, yeah, I think a part of, of what's sort of happening in the world and, and why I think there's some good reasons to think why things are going this way. I mean, I, I look at something like I watched, um, a documentary minimalism, and this is like, it's a huge thing that's really growing. You know, this idea, this concept of people really looking at the things that we're in some ways being told to want and the things that we're told are going to make us happy and and how much time and effort and pain we put ourselves through to do this Mm. when we really need much less than we think we do. Mm -hmm. And how by actually simplifying things, and I can see this within, within my own life, you know, because it's like, yes, like we, we still, we live in a time where, and in the Western world where it's like, you need to make money to live, you know, like you need to, you need to earn so that you can keep a roof over your head and you can, and you can feed yourself and all of these, all of these good things. Right. Um, but then there's more, right. It's just like, it's, it's where we start getting into, all of these other things that we think we have to have Hmm. that we really don't have to have. And when I realized that I didn't need to have so many other things and I was able to cut down the job that I work, like to be less than half of my time, like it changes everything. You realize how much you don't really need. And now you're free to actually like, I'm free to do this. I'm free to write put together an EP in my spare time because I, I think that sounds fucking cool Mm -hmm. and to write a book and to do all these things. And eventually that's going to be a full-time thing where I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to be able to do that. Um, and, and I think that this is going to be something that, that catches on. And, and what's exciting is that it's a choice that we actually get to make, right? There's no, there's no real obstacle to us being able to do that once we start to shed all of this crap. Right. And that's very much, you know what, that's, that's artfulness. You know, we kind of started talking about 
about this in some ways more directly related to art, but about shedding a lot of, a lot of things in terms of trying to create, because that's one of the things I've learned. It's like, it's about removing things. If you want to create art, it's about taking the fluff away. It's about taking the crap away and getting, and getting to the simple truth of something. Mm right. And, and speaking that when you're trying to pile on all of this stuff, it, it be, you, you move further and further away from it. And I think it's the same thing that we're talking about with, with our lives, right? It's like we piled so much crap into our lives that there's no real artfulness to our life anymore. Right. It's just a bunch of crap. Yeah. <laughs> our lives are just full of a bunch of crap. Right. And, you know, we wonder why people are just so like crazy you know, and why people are so unhappy. I mean, this documentary minimalism, like there's, they had people on this, on this show who were extraordinarily successful people who had the job that they said they always wanted making the big paycheck that they always wanted. And then just having a complete moment of what the fuck am I doing? Mm. Like I am absolutely miserable. Like, I don't even know what has substance in my life anymore. Yeah. Right. And you get to this place and then, and, and so you then have to dig a little bit deeper. You've got to room. And so this whole minimalism thing is about removing all of this crap from your life and how simplifying your life is so much more joyful. It's such a happier way of doing things. Right. And I think this, yeah, it's, it applies in life. It applies in art. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, it's interesting because, uh, minimalism is not just like your place too. It's, it's a whole mindset of, of functioning in the world. I mean, yeah. I actually think that, you know, even based on just what I've, what I shared too, about my crazy theories about the future is that minimalism will be even more important because if you think about it, the more freedom we have, the more options, the more choices, the more availability, the more people are going to start to feel overwhelmed and be like, well, just tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. Yeah. It's like, you could do anything. It's like, but I don't know what's the right thing to do, you know? And, and it will take time for us to, to heal wounds of right and wrong and black and white ideas, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, minimalism, when you actually have the few things that are important to you will be, um, more meaningful. You know, when we started this podcast, I was going to say that for myself, you were just saying like, I'm going to start doing music for me. Actually, I've been going in the opposite is like, I'm going to start subtracting a few things in my life. Like mm. it was like, like, cause I feel like I've added a lot to my life. Now I'm like, well, I had a big talk with a friend on, uh, uh about three nights ago. We just sat down. We, we, we talked for a couple hours and, um, he just really helped me see that, you know, it's, it's about getting really clear on the one to three things that are important to you and doing those things full out 100% and not letting anything else deter you from that. Because, you know, there's a certain point where when you start to do too much, you do nothing at all. Yeah. And he was talking about, he, you know, he had some really great analogies and related it to, um, the stock market and stuff like that. But he was talking about how, like, if you look at all the stocks in the world, like if you were to take someone and say, Hey, let's invest in stocks, they would look at all the stocks and they would be like, I don't know, like, where do I put my money? Yeah. So then there's, there's, um, basically a couple measurements that they'll use 
and they'll say, look, if you pick a stock, you should base it on these two measurements. So when you do that, you end up cutting them down into like half or whatever. You cut it down to like 30% immediately. And then if you take another statistic, you cut it down to this. And then eventually if you keep cutting it down, you get down to like, you know, you get down to like 10 stocks to three stocks. And then really there's just one stock that you should invest in. It's so clear. And so I, I think what, what is going to happen is that we just need to get more and more clear on our values and that's what cuts out a lot of the other options we could do. Mm-hmm. And we, we just know what we want to do because we're connected to why we value it and why it's the right one for us and not necessarily the right one for everybody else, but just for us. And so then we end up living a very fulfilled, fulfilled experience because we went full out for the thing that mattered, you know, and like right now, I mean, I'm sure there's many other listeners on the line who have made a decision to do a job or have gone a certain way because they believed that they would get more value, more money, more resources, more whatever. It would be more socially acceptable if they went that path. And maybe they thought about going another path, but it wasn't as socially acceptable. It was maybe too high risk, too many rewards, like not enough rewards. So if we lived in a world where that wasn't the factor that made your decision, that you could have gone either way and it would work out the same. Yeah. You would get the same resources. It would be fine. Which choice would you have made? And that to me is interesting because maybe then we begin making choices that actually are more aligned with us and not because I have to do this because I have to feed my children, you know, but it's like, obviously that's, there's a certain character that's built in that. But if we were making choices, because that's really what I wanted to do, you know, and I think a lot of people don't become musicians or actors or filmmakers or dancers or whatever writers, because they believe that it's too risky and they won't get what they need to have a certain other type of lifestyle. But if you could do that and know you'd have that lifestyle, you might not do the industry job you're doing right now. Yeah. And to me, that's exciting because I, what I really, my wish for people is that they start living the life they truly want, not Mm -hmm. the life they think they have to, not the the life they feel society has obligated themselves into. Um, And to me, that becomes a start starts to be a very interesting world because I mean, you're not going to be angry in traffic anymore because you're going to be doing what you love. So you're not going to be stressed out about it. Yeah. You know, you're not going to be worked up about a lot of the shit because a lot of the stuff I think that gets our, gets us all cranked up is because we have these things that we feel are stressing us out. Yeah. And then, you know, stress is not so much about like, um, and it's usually about meeting our survival needs. Right. Yeah. Paying a bill. Right. And like, if you're not so worried about all of that now, I'm not saying like we should, like, we're not getting, we're not able to do it right now. We're not able to just be like, let's all be communists. Like it won't work. Yeah. I'm not saying that we should do that. And I, I, in fact, I think right now the way things work is a lot better than communism in my personal opinion. I think a certain amount of social mindfulness is good in, in culture. Straight capitalism is a little dangerous right now because obviously people are exploitive and they can take too much advantage of it. Yeah. So, um, you know, just, 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 just my idea of, I think how the world works, but the way technology is going pretty soon, it will be kind of an interesting dynamic where if, um, we could still have capitalism and capitalism could still be the thing. And some people might have massive resources, whereas everyone else just has the base. But what's important is that everybody has the base. And so if you want to have more, you could, you don't have to be like, you don't have to be at the base, Yeah. but everyone's basic needs are covered. Now, if some people want to be lazy asses and they don't want to contribute at all to the world, 
whatever, it's not going to really matter because what's going to end up happening is going to be the 80, 20 rule where 20% of people move the world forward. And that's how it works anyway. Yeah. You know, it's not, that's never been different. It's always been 20% of the people move the world forward and then 80% kind of riff off of that. Like they, they <laughs> tag along, tag along. And then of that 20% that move the world, 20% of them really move the world. And then of that 20% that really moves the world, another 20% and it keeps going up. Right. And it's always been the 80, 20 rule. It always is in every scenario. If you do the math, it always hmm. works out that way. Interesting. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if 80% of us contribute really nothing, but what, what ends up happening is people in that 80% will be given the avenue to become contributors. Cause right now, a lot of people like they just, you know, they live even in North America in a first world country and they are, they've not really, I mean, I guess they technically could contribute. You could argue that, but in a lot of ways, they're not really set up to be able to contribute because the world has kind of been designed a little bit to hold you down. Like yeah, it it starts as a child. If you're trained and educated to be a machine, how are you going to ever think differently than being a machine? Mm -hmm. You know, until someone comes along and hopefully someone hears this podcast and they hear me talking my crazy shit. And I say, look, (laughs) think outside of it. You're not a machine. Cause that's what it took for me. I mean, I had to have someone come along in my life and I just think, man, I'm lucky. Cause like, you know, a lot of people, like I was just talking with a writer the other day and he's working on his career and he was saying, man, I wish I had your career. And the only reason why I have a career the way I do is because I've learned to not think like a machine. That's really it. That's the difference. I'm not the best writer. I'm really not, Uh, you know, and, and, and I just think that I understand how to think about the system. I I'm, I'm not just a cog in this machine, which helps me to transcend it a little bit. Um, and I hope to transcend it more, but someone had to come along and I feel I've had a few mentors that have helped push me and kick me in the ass to give me that because I sure as hell didn't learn it in school. You know, maybe my English teacher, but English teachers are crazy like that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, some English teachers are like a little like, and some philosophy teachers I had in university were a little bit like, fuck the man. Like, you know, this, why why are you doing this for a grade? You know, make you think a little bit. Right which is painful and uncomfortable. He's like, I'm doing this great. Cause I need to do this. Cause blah, blah, blah. Cause the world's told me if I don't do this, my life's a failure. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So what if it's a failure? You know, that's the, that's a good philosophy teacher will say like, so what, like, what's the problem there? If it's a failure, according to society, well, then I'll be homeless. Then I'll be this. Then you, they get you to face all your fears and then you face all those fears and you realize they're not so bad. And then you realize like, that's what it takes. I think for an artist to live an artist life, you have to be willing to be homeless. You have to be willing to be like, you know what? It might not work out and I might be homeless at some point, Yeah. but I'm willing to do it because it matters enough to me. But most people aren't willing to it because, because they never check their fear. So they just give into it. I think this is the thing though. I think we get to a point where people don't have to be scared anymore. I think that's an exciting time. Yeah. Yeah. This is an interesting conversation. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to go this I, I way, had, but you know, I didn't think so. Why don't you let's, this is let's, a not so serious. You want to talk about let's beer? Digress. Yeah, why don't you talk about this beer that you've brought in here? Do you not like this can? Is I, that nice? Oh black? yeah, it's a great can. I, I mean, I love uh, I love their branding. Yellow Dog. Again, yeah. I've been. I you know my my goal right now is, and you're probably going to every second podcast get a beer from Yellow Dog from us for a little bit because I'm I'm making my way through their whole list. Um, but, uh, I have a couple more I want to bring on at least, but, um, this one's called play dead. It's an IPA. 
And this is interesting that I went out and got an IPA because remember, I don't know if you remember this, but when we started, Oh, I remember. I never liked IPAs. And now I'm literally going out and going, this is a, and this is a good IPA. I really like it. In fact, Yellow Dog has yet to disappoint me. They've been just a really great brewing company. Yeah. No, yet to disappoint me either. I don't think I've had anything I didn't, didn't like from them. Yeah. So I mean, I, their, their, their coconut porter is still, that's one of my top favorite beers that's that of all the craft beers we've yeah. had. It's in my, it's in my top, definitely my top 10 hands down, no matter what, maybe my top five, maybe I would even argue my top three. I would say maybe euphoria from 33 acres. Yeah. The coconut, uh, Porter is what we had yeah. from yellow dog. And I don't know what my third is, but those mm. are, those were two of my absolute favorites that we've had. Yeah. I yeah. feel like the hibiscus vit is one of my favorites Ooh. from, from brass neck there. Yeah. That's a that really one's, good one. That one's a real standout. Yeah. We usually have that in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they usually don't do it until mm-hmm. the warmer weather. Cause it's a real warm weather kind of a, kind of a beer, but man, is it good? Um, so yeah. Yellow so what do you think? Of, what do you think about this? I know, you know, it's an IPA. I know you know what it's called already, but yeah. <laughs> how's been your experience of it? No, it's great. It's great. It's got Pretty easy drink. Got a nice, no, it's a really, it's a really nice IPA. Like it doesn't, it doesn't hit you super hard as far as like, uh, the taste of it. Like it's definitely like, yeah, it's got, it's very rich. It's very rich, very, um, it has that hop. It has all of the IPA characteristics, but it's, it's really easy to drink. Yeah. Really easy to drink. It's really easy to drink. And, um, you know, I think if someone like maybe doesn't like IPAs, like I wasn't a big fan of them when we started the podcast, this might be a good one to start with because it's not, it's a little hoppy, but it's not, it's not too bad. I think, I think for new, newer beer drinkers, hoppier beers tend to be a little bit like, you know, they're more of a, like, as you've matured with your beer taste, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but I find that I like IPAs more and more as I go on. Yeah. Um, but they're, yeah, I don't know. It's like anything, you know, like sometimes you don't like something when you first, you know, start with it, but yeah. So anyway, I'm a big fan. It's been nice. Glad you like it. You drank a lot of beer on this show, man. We have, man. We really have. Drank a lot of beer. It was, I was, uh, just over at, uh, Steel and Oak yesterday, uh, having some drinks. Um, uh, Marco, who we had on the show, his, uh, father-in-law was in town from Montreal and said, oh yeah, we're going to go out and grab some beers at, uh, at Steel and Oak. So we went and sat with them in, in the brewery there in their little tasting room. And, uh, he was saying, it's like, it's like, I don't, he's like, I don't know if anybody can like really tell the difference between, between different beers. If you were blindfolded, could you really tell? And I was like, I think I'd have a pretty good idea that like, I might not be a hundred percent, but I would, if like you gave me an IPA and a Porter and you know, like an ale or a lager or something, I would be able to pull out some differences <laughs> in those. So yeah, I yeah, think, man. yeah, I think so too. I mean, a lot of beer. I'm, I suppose it's like people who drink wine or, or foodies, you know, yeah. they just, they learn to, you know, you, you, you evolve with it. The more you've had, I mean, yeah. 
my, my, uh, ability to like, we've even done beers where you've brought them in blind. I don't know what they are. And I've tried to guess and, and, yeah. and I've guessed correctly on a lot of the hints that were in them. And I yeah. mean, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call myself a beer connoisseur by any means, but the fact that we've had a certain variety of them now, yeah. I'm beginning to get a palate for, and I think it's, it's neat to like get there. Cause you start to get to a point where you can kind of appreciate things in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's like, yeah, I wouldn't consider myself like a connoisseur either. Um, I've met, I've met people who I feel are connoisseurs of beer and I'm like, man, you're on a whole, <laughs> you're on a whole nother level. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's not what we're here to do really. But, uh, but cause like I would, I, with some of the beers that we've, we've tried over the last little while, I'm like, I would have no idea. Like it's, there's so many of these different little types of beers out there. Like we tried a Gosa for the first time this year, which is like a salted type of German beer. You know, it's like, I never even heard of it before. Mm-hmm. Right. But, uh, I've seen them popping up like in more places. So it's like, there's all these little things that started out with, I feel like, you know, your, your, your ales, your pilsners, your IPAs, your ESBs, your, your porter stouts, your lagers, <laughs> um, and, and your wit beers, you know, your half, you know, your half of Isons, Um, and it just keeps on like expanding out and out. And like, there's all of these different types of beers that people are making them. Like, I've never even heard of these before. Yeah. And, so. and, and, you know, people are, especially with those sours, I mean, people are really pushing the type of flavor that they can kind of find in them and, you know, and, yeah. and it's neat. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. It's been a nice little byproduct of this podcast because, you know, we started out, kind of just having a beer, having a conversation. And then, you know, we, we decided to expand our horizons and that, um, and it's been, it's been a nice little thing. And, you know, I I always find what's really cool is our guests always really appreciate it. Like, I mean, we've had maybe a couple who maybe are not beer drinkers, Yeah. but, um, for the most part, all our guests have been like, yeah, like it's really kind of cool to have a beer and come on the show and, and do that. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice thing. It's like, one of those things. And one thing I would say, and I think all these craft breweries is that you've helped kind of create a casual environment for us to be able to do this podcast, because I think a lot of people we've had have come on initially who maybe didn't know us too well. And they were like, is there going to be a bunch of questions or whatever? It's like, no, we're going to sit down and have a beer. We're going to talk about artistry and industry. We don't really know where it's going to go. Well, maybe we'll pick a topic if it's on this day, maybe we won't. And we'll see. And they, and like, everybody's been walking away going, that was really awesome. They're like, I had such a good time and I really felt heard. And like, I've had people actually request to me, can, can I be on again? And it's like, yeah, of course, let's do a recap. And there's a few people from last hundred yeah. that I'd like to actually just come back yeah, and just definitely. see how things have changed for them. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. We should definitely have some people back on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in fact, I actually, I went and saw, um, Sam Davidson. He did, uh, he was an artist in residence for a little while, um, uh, in the city, he got this sponsorship. And so he spent like a month just, just getting to like use spaces and use resources, kind of what we're talking about to like, just play music and explore some different ideas and things he'd been thinking of. And I got to see him do his sort of his final performance piece, I guess, in terms of 
showcasing what he'd been doing. And I was like, after afterwards, I said, we should really have you back on the show. Since yeah. And I should get in contact with him. Cause it'd be great to have him back on. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah, I don't know. Have we talked this one out or are we, are, are, are we, no, well, finding we're, 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 getting, stuff? We're, we're getting, we're getting close. I mean, well, there was one, there was one thing that you, um, you had touched on earlier and I thought it was very interesting cause I've heard this, I heard this conversation, um, from other people before. Uh, and you talked about, you know, how actors and, and doing plays and stuff and trying to recreate a thing over consistently over and over and over again. I said, you know, it's, it's really interesting because this is how we typically think of doing a run of a play, you know, no matter how, whatever your kind of your experiences of acting, how little or how much, you know, it's, it's generally sort of a pretty well-known thing that it's like, yeah, it's, you see a pretty consistent performance night after night after night or consistent show night after night after night. Um, but I'd heard a conversation not too long ago about whether that's even the right philosophy Hmm. about doing a play. It's like that, we shouldn't be trying to do that, that it should actually be a spontaneous thing every single night, which I I think is very interesting because it's like, it's not to necessarily say that that is the right way or a better way, but it certainly presents some interesting arguments to it. Right. Yeah. You know, there's a, so um, so it was a few years back. I was in this um, group that was like a, uh, uh, a futurist, futurism science uh, type of group. I know it sounds super nerdy, but it was fascinating. Yeah. It was fascinating stuff. And um, one of the, one of the women, she's a Mexican Latin, and she was talking about how, because um, they were talking about um, in just in this particular argument about technology and how it's evolving and the importance in being able to create a certain type of sameness, you know, with very little variable and everything is replicated over and over exactly the same, much like maybe a recipe. If you put exactly the same things in, it's always exactly the same. And she brought forth the argument of like, and kind of a fear was like, but what if we lose the personal touch of making a cake that time. And it's an interesting thing because there's like, it's, and and this is the argument I was, I was trying to make earlier when I was going off on my crazy, in a (laughs) hundred years, the world's going to look like this, um, is that we kind of have a really difficult time thinking outside of the box of everything needs to be the same and getting in the fear that, um, our individuality will be lost if everything's the same and all of this. Right. Um, but we have to just remember that like basically the way the world used to work before the industrial revolution was a little more chaotic. People did, um, more personalized. Like if you went to say one blacksmith, it wasn't the same as if you went to another blacksmith. Yeah. It wasn't a, the same. It was similar. They did very similar things, but each blacksmith kind of did their blacksmithing in their own type of way. Mm -hmm. But what ended up happening with the industrial revolution is we, we created a way where you could go to any blacksmith 
or any person who is creating something yeah. and they would create essentially the same thing, yeah. which created a consistency, which was a really great period in our time because actually most everything that we are experiencing the benefits of are really of products of the industrial revolution. The problem is, is that we have still a mindset we've been trained to, to replicate, to copy, to do things over and over the same, which is an amazingly actually good skill. Yeah. We just have to realize that we have, can have that skill and we can have individualism at the same time, which is what our generation, the millennials are learning to do because our, our parents' generation is like, get a house, get married, do this, whatever. Like, and that's kind of the same model. Right. And it's, they're more like anyone who's I'd say anybody who's 35 or over, you're, you're pretty industrialized. If you're over probably 50 or like 60, you're really industrialized. Mm. And anyone who's in their nineties, you're, you're, you are industrial. Like that, that's how you were taught. And that's just part of how our, how our evolution has gone. What's interesting for the millennial generation is that we've created a certain amount of, um, we are products of the industrial, but we are now at a point where we have so much freedom that we're learning to find personal expression, but the world has not really honed and like taught us that that's okay. You know, like, um, you know, like if you look at Detroit, for example, Detroit was a product of the industrial revolution that, that died. It's like the dinosaurs. It's just like world evolved and it didn't. Yeah. Um, which was really unfortunate because, um, those people are left, um, they're left and it's not really that they're not capable. It's just that they're not taught in a way where they can see how they could be useful individually. Like if you were taught your whole life that you, like, I mean, if you're working at a, a, at a car manufacturing plant, you learned to do a specific job over and over and over again and do that well. Yeah. And then you did your hours and you went home, which is a great skill that we can build. I mean, when you and I do the podcast and I put the pictures up or when you do the, the blogs, the blurbs, (laughs) (laughs) um, we do them probably with an industrial mindset, which if we didn't have, like, I don't know about you, but I've created systems where I've created templates. I copied the template. I just changed the picture. I changed the words I keep it super simple. But because I do that, that consistency keeps everything very consistent. Yeah. But if I didn't have that skill, I'd be missing a huge part of my capacity, but there's also a certain part of us where I think the reason why we can have conversations without a topic is because we're, we're relying entirely on artistry, which is like the only thing that's consistent about it is that we're going to get in front of the mic for 90 minutes and we're going to talk about artistry and industry. But other than that, everything's open game right? As we've obviously discussed tonight. I mean, this, this went into like a hundred years in the future. Like we don't know what's going to happen. That's artistry. Yeah. And so we're in a time where that's actually going to be more embraced. And so I think that, I think that we're, we're going to live in a world where, um, we still need industrial. I I don't make it wrong. I'm not trying to make it wrong. If we only have it on industrial, we're kind of in trouble. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. But if we only had artistry, we're kind of in trouble too. Yeah. Right. We need a little of both right now. Cause that's the only way to function in this current world yeah. we're in. Yeah. No, and, absolutely, and I think that that sort of in, industrial element is going to have a new role. Like it, yeah, it, it plays a certain part in terms of creating a sustainability mm-hmm. of sorts, a type yes. of sustainability. 
But the thing is, is that even after all of it, you know, after all of the things are done. So like, we're talking about this, you know, this potential, you know, future (laughs) of the world where, you know, basically we don't, we don't have to take, we don't have to do so much stuff, you know, like we don't have to worry about so many, like basically meeting our survival needs. We don't have to worry about any of those things. Like it's all like being done by basically systems, right. That have been put in place. That's amazing. That's industry. Right. That's the cute, cool thing is that that actually is industry. That's industry. Yeah. And then what does that, but things like now, what does that allow us to do? See, like, it's not the other way around, right? Because at the end of all of it, we're still left with us. We're still left with you and me and ourselves, right? Like, and each other. And we go, okay, so let's do a podcast. Let's do a podcast. (laughs) I guess. Yeah. Like let's, let's let's create a YouTube channel. That's what we'll do. I mean, you, you said earlier in the conversation, you stopped working as many days as you worked, which allowed you to do this podcast. That is when you, when you don't rely on industry so much, you created room for yourself to do something like this. And this is what we'll do. This is the great thing. This is what I'm trying to say. Like you literally helped me express my point. Yeah. By yeah. Yeah, no, it just it dawned <laughs> on me as I was going, I'm like, oh, I see how this like kind of fits into it. And yeah, because imagine yeah, because yeah. the industry, because the job that I currently possess is the industry part of kind of my, my life, if right. you will. And that industry allows me to, to do these other things, right? Right. To, to a certain degree. So it's, I think for the future, it's about how do we create such a sustainable and thriving industry where we get to, where we get to just do more, we get to experience more, right? Because, you know, that it can't experience for us. Industry cannot experience for us, right? It can create some freedoms for us, I think, to, to pursue that. I think, I think you really nailed it. I mean, I think you really summed it up in a really good way because that's really, and that's the, really the idea because the more we realize we don't need as much industry as we currently believe we're supposed to have, the more we're going to do things like this. And like, um, and we're going to start to try things out because you're going to have time. Like, and, and I would hope, and and the reason why it's going to take time. And I've talked with this about my met with my mentors and things like that. And, and brought up these ideas, but part of the reason why we need for it to be a slower transition for us is because if you just dropped us in a world where we had a hundred percent free time right now, we're not, we're not, um, we're, 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 we're not in a psychological mindset to be able to deal with that yet. Yeah. But if you say like, maybe you, let's say for example, you work, um, eight hours a day. Yeah. Okay. Five days a week. But now we say you work six hours a day for four days a week. And then you work four hours a day for three days a week. And then you work three hours a day for two days a week. And so what ends up happening is you slowly take it away and you slowly transition the replacement. We can adapt. But if you just do it immediately, if you just like, and this happened to me, like when I, when I first started to succeed in my film career, I, my first three months, I didn't have to work. I didn't have to do shit. I, I just 
slept in, played video games, satiated the shit out of my life. Yeah. And I woke up one day and I was like, you're blowing it, man. You need to get your <laughs> shit together. And fortunately I had a big enough dream to, for me to do that. But if you didn't have a goal or a big dream, you might not have woken up. Yeah. But I just had a realization. I'm like, I'm wasting this opportunity to create my career. But because it was like, I went from full-time school, full-time job, full-time everything to like nothing. Yeah. And I could do whatever I wanted. And, and there's a weird thing to go from kind of a plan to like total freedom. So what I, what I did learn to do as I've gone through my life is I've learned to just evolve my process of creating a certain amount of responsibility for myself. Like, you know, like I've talked to a lot of my friends about this who have like Joe jobs, for example, and you know, and, and I've just like helped them see as well, like part of my struggle sometimes, and it's, it's, it sounds so silly and it sounds arrogant. I don't, I don't want it to sound that way, but when I don't have, I don't have to wake up for a boss. I don't have to go somewhere in the morning Mm -hmm. and I don't, I just don't, I do what I choose to do in my day is mostly what I just agreed to do. And so sometimes in the morning, I don't have the motivation to get up because I haven't built it personally in myself but if I had a boss and I had to go there or, or I'd get fired, I would probably get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's something that I've really been working on building in myself to be my own boss, to, to, to find a personal motivation to get up because some days it's just hard. You just don't want to. But like when I was working at a Joe job and I was going to school, I would get up because I felt kind of like I had to, I don't think that's the best way to go, but I've had to evolve. And I think that we as a culture need to evolve. So if yeah. we could slowly take away our work hours, but we can't just do it all at once. Not, some of us can, but yeah. most of us, we need it eased away. And then eventually what my hope is that eventually at some point we do very little, um, oblig- obligatory work. Yeah. Not, and I, I wouldn't say it's obligatory because hopefully we're at the transcendent point where we choose it, but it's obligatory in the sense that we need to do it to keep our systems running. Yeah. Cause some, like we can't just be like, okay, the machines run it. <laughs> like maybe we can, but hopefully we don't get to the point where it's like every, we just negate all responsibility and we're like the machines do it all now. Yeah. <laughs> but it could happen. You know, who knows? Yeah. Who, <laughs> <laughs> who knows? But yeah, you well, get, I think you got my point. So yeah. Sum, sum this baby up. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like well, okay. I mean, we did talk about a lot of things. We, we talked, talked about, about a lot of things. We talked about a hundred years in the future. I'm, I'm actually <laughs> just curious, um, for you, what did you take away from this conversation that you would just like leave someone with and go like, take this and just chew on it for the next, you know, next bit until you listen to the next podcast. Um, I mean, for me, I guess it would, it would be about, something very practical in terms of look at your life and see what it is that you're doing right now. You know, like if, because I mean, I, I suspect that most people who listen to the show are within some sort of artistic field or creative field. And a lot of people are trying to make that their full-time gig and it's not their full-time gig yet. Right. Um, but look at what, what, what does your life look like right now? How much time are you spending, you know, working a Joe job or working, you know, you're working this sort of other industrial thing, right? The industrious part that is, that is supporting you 
within the world that we're in right now, which does have certain demands upon us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. It's perfectly fine. Um, but look at how you might be able to cut this out. I mean, we had this talk, talk, we brought up the, that documentary minimalism and stuff. It's like, how can you make this a smaller part of your life? This thing that is not really involved with doing what you love to do, mm. or that doesn't necessarily have to do with the job. Is there, I, I don't know what it could be. Is there some part of your lifestyle that's actually taking you away, taking a lot of your time from what you are truly passionate about. Right. And look at how you can make your life more about the experiences that you want and making your life more about, um, yeah, the the experiences that you want and the things that you really want to explore. Hmm. You know, I think exploration was a big part of this as well. I mean, it's a huge part of of what it means to be an artist is to explore things, to, you know, follow some route down there. You don't really know where it's going, mm-hmm. but out of just a simple sense of really excited curiosity about something, you know, we don't have to wait a hundred years in the future or whatever for this thing. You know, you can start to be that change right now. Yeah. That's how this thing actually happens, right? Is well you said. start to be that change within yourself, within your own life, right now. See how you can do that. Cause I bet you there's a bunch of different things you can come up with. Mm. I really, you know, I really, um, I, I really like your, your note. And I think like you've been a good role model for, for, for people. And even me, like watching you in, in various aspects of my life, but your evolution from, from taking away your industrial job and, and really embracing more of your artistry and just, you know, because for me, I think, I don't know. I think like in certain ways I had, I mean, I've had my trials and tribulations in my life, but I, I was able to kind of make a certain kind of leap into artistry that most people don't get the luxury to do. Uh, um, and I fortunately, um, found my way in, in my freedom, um, and didn't fucking blow it. (laughs) Thank God. Um, in some ways I feel like I, you know, some in moments I thought like I did blow it, you know, but I, I, you know, I found my way back but like most people, I think, and even for myself, I'm really working on this is that I don't need to go from zero to 60 in one second mm. is that I can do this in an evolution. So it's taking a little bit away at a time. You know, it's like you, you I remember the day where you told me I, I'm not working as many days. You just took one more day off. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. It just, you don't have to quit your job. You just take one less day at your job. You know, you do one little thing that creates a little more freedom and a little less, um, you know, kind of obligatory work. Yeah. And you know, this is another philosophy we could get into about nothing is ever obligated, but let me just use it in that, in that term. Cause I think we, you know, if we're actors, we would rather like, I've heard actors say to me, I just want to be acting all the time, like inch your way towards that you're, where you're acting more and more. Um, but also honor it. Like, you know, and I'll take from my own experience, if you ever do get the benefit and you create that for yourself, where you do have a certain autonomy and a freedom, really connect to why you want that freedom. You know, for me, I write every single day, no matter what Mm -hmm. I was, I went out with friends last night. I drank my face off and (laughs) I was drunk. 
<laughs> I came home. I'm like, I'm messed up. And I was like, I don't drink very often. Like, I mean, I drink on the podcast, but it's like a couple beers, maybe a beer. Right. Yeah. But I, I, I went out, I had drinks. I had a great time. I came home as one in the morning and I was like, I, you know, or whatever, 12 or whatever. But I, you know, and I was like, no, I'm sitting down and I'm going to write. And, and you know what the thing I built such a discipline with writing that my writing was still good, even when I was drunk. And I mean, that takes discipline. People don't realize that because yeah. I wanted to go to sleep. I wanted to just be like, fuck it. Like, you know what I mean? There's a part of me, but you, we need to have a certain discipline in our life. If nobody's holding us accountable, we have to learn that ability to hold ourselves accountable. And I, my lesson that I want to leave people with is that in the future, you will have the freedom you want. You will have the artistry you want. It's, it's going that way. Technology's going that way. The world is going that way. And so it's going to be on you now to create, to be your own boss, to be your own disciplinary, to do it, not because someone told you to, but because you value it. Yeah. And so I'd say, just start, like Evan said, just start connecting with that right now. Start practicing that now, even if you work your full-time job and you're not even going to take hours off or days off yet, start creating a discipline in your life that you do for you, where you're your own boss. And, and you can start to experience the, the, um, benefit of just doing it because you want to do it. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where we're evolving. I feel like this podcast is going to evolve more towards that too. I feel like we're, you know, the more of these discussions we have, the more we're refining artistry and industry and the more I'm seeing in my own life, like every time we do a podcast, I take it away and I, and actually kind of apply it to my own life. Yeah. Cause these are, if you're a first time listener, these are not like, we're not here to tell you what to do. We're, we're literally discovering this. If yeah. you haven't been able to tell and you know, uh, on the go, yeah. you know, a lot of it. Right. Oh I, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's all I got, man. No, beautiful. Cool. This has been a this fun one. That's <laughs> great, man. Not yeah. so serious. Not so, not, yeah. Not so serious. <laughs> <laughs> not so serious. A little serious. <laughs> That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.